What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And before we get started, before I introduce this amazing guest, just real quick, if you're not yet, make sure you follow me over on Instagram and Twitter at the Rewired Soul. All right. I've been releasing a lot of different stuff. I've been writing a lot lately, and I have a bunch of cool stuff coming up. So make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of that stuff. Really easy at the Rewired Soul. All right. But yeah, today's guest is Vivek Ramaswamy. All right. And we are talking about his new book, Woke Inc. So check this out. So like when you hear the word woke, and I talk a little bit with Vivek around about this, when you hear the word woke, you think of a certain type and like, I'm pretty left leaning and I saw this and I'm just like, oh boy, there's somebody just going on about wokeness and all that. But you know, I, I absolutely love this book and I binged it because something that I've noticed for a long time is how corporations and a lot of people are profiting off of the culture wars. And it's absolute madness. And the Vex book talks about this. It, it dives deep into how corporate America is playing into all these ideological fights that we're getting in just to make money. And it's, it's bonkers because we're missing, we're missing what's really going on. And meanwhile, you know, a bunch of people are still struggling, right? So the Vex book is just amazing because he talks about how a lot of this is, you know, signaling and distracting a lot of us from the real problems. And Vivek's background is actually in, you know, corporate America. He was a CEO of a, of a biotech company and has a really interesting story as well about what happened with that last year during the George Floyd protest and everything like that. But anyways, I, I'm super glad that he was able to come on and chat about this book. He's a very very busy guy. And I absolutely love the book. So make sure that you head down to the description, make sure you go and follow Vivek and more importantly, grab a copy of this book, because as you'll hear us talk about in this conversation, you know, it, it feels, it feels like this, this just like, you know, switcheroo that they're pulling, right? Like just, Oh, focus, focus on the culture wars, focus on this. Meanwhile, they're running away with billions of dollars and we need to recognize this because we're not fixing all the other social issues so make sure you check out the vex book woke inc i hope you enjoy this conversation and by the way by the way if you're new if you're new and you're not yet make sure you are following the podcast or you subscribe whether it's on apple spotify or whatever platform you're listening on all right we do a ton of episodes i talk to a wide range of authors and this week i have some really cool guests coming up so make sure you're following the podcast all right but without further ado here is my conversation with vivek ramaswamy about his brand new book woke Inc. All right. Hello, Vivek. How are you doing today? Good to talk to you, man. Doing well. Yeah. So today we're talking about 
your brand new book, Woke Inc. So I can't wait to talk about it. I love the book. I binged it. And yeah, so real quick story, Vivek. Uh, I think I mentioned this on Twitter. But anyways, when I heard about your book, I like checked out the book. I saw it said Woke Inc. I saw that you do like some Fox News stuff. I'm like, oh, great. Here's some guy who's just going to be talking crap about all the woke stuff, you know? But I decided <laughs> to give the book a chance. And like, I became obsessed with it. So I loved it. And can you, can you just talk a little bit about what, what kind of inspired the book? Absolutely. Yeah. So look, I mean, I had lived in elite America for the last 15 years. I wasn't born into it, but I had lived it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was a rampant form of institutional dishonesty that needed to be exposed in a way that was hopefully going to provide the first step towards what I think is what we really need in this country is a revival of our shared identity as Americans. And I think mm. that our lack of that shared identity ends up being the vulnerability that allows self-interested politicians, corporations, and other institutions to prey on our moral insecurities as a people, kind of like Virginia Slim's manufacturers used to prey on teenage girls in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, That's what companies and other institutions are doing today, politicians too. And I think I am increasingly, certainly by the end of the book, obsessed with this question of what it means to be American in the year 2021. And I think that we lack a good answer to that question, but if we had a great answer to that question, whether you're on the left, you're on the right, whether you're black or white that you can buy into, then I think that no longer leaves us susceptible to being sorted into our demographic boxes for somebody else's gain. And mm -hmm. that, was, that was really the cultural cancer that I wanted to expose in this book as hopefully the first step towards offering a better way forward. So that was my goal. And you know, I, I want this, you know, if you don't mind, I know you're interviewing me or whatever, but I'd love to hear <laughs> some of your thoughts at the outset to, to foreground the discussion. And then I can react to that. Yeah, no, it's so it was it was recent. It was probably recent years where, you know, I started noticing, you know, just just some issues with like capitalism. And I'm a guy I work my ass off and, you know, like I do this podcast. I was, you know, full time. I have a YouTube channel. I write books. I do all sorts of stuff. So, you know, but I also look at, you know, the, the way the world's set up. And I appreciate guys like you who have succeeded and you try to do well. But I noticed what you kind of did, too. Like, for example, just seeing these companies coming out like a, a great example is pride month or last year doing black lives matter and stuff. And I'm like, wait, 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 you're going to post a black square on Instagram and this is supposed to wash away all your sins. Like you're using slave labor in other countries. <laughs> you know, your uh, Amazon, for example, is like underpaying their workers. Walmart employees have to go on, uh, you know, uh, get food stamps and like Medicare because they're not getting paid enough. I'm like, but you're talking about these, 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 you know, quote unquote woke issues. And we're supposed to be like, oh, okay, you're good. So that's where I really connected with your book. Cause I've been seeing this and I'm like, how, how are people not addressing this? You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, I think the, uh, the, the arranged marriage between the newly woke left and mm. big business in this country is actually a remarkable marriage because each side actually has secret disdain for the other and any marriage in which each side <laughs> yeah. has scorn for the other isn't going to end well, but it's working right now. It's more like mutual prostitution actually, because each side is able to get something out of the trade. And, you know, it's funny because if you think about the political implications of the book, a lot of people may think about the, the natural battle line as being between liberals and conservatives. Mm -hmm. If I had to draw one line that the book has a serious view on for delineating a political distinction, it's actually between 
the old left and the new left, mm. irrespective of where conservatives are. That's just like neither here nor there. Yeah. The old left said that economic disempowerment was the real evil and that poverty was the real problem we needed to solve. And you needed to redistribute money from wealthy people to poor people to help poor people. Mm-hmm. Agree or not, that's what the old left had to say. But there's this new breed of the postmodern progressive left that says actually the real problem isn't racism, isn't misogyny, excuse me, isn't poverty or economic yeah. injustice, it's racism and misogyny and bigotry. And that is, I think, something that big business can get in bed with. Yeah. Big business can't get in bed with Bernie Sanders, but they might just be able to get in bed with the squad. And I think that that's what's at issue for the left right now is where's the soul of the left? Is it about economic justice? Or is it about genetically inherited injustice? That is the question. And I think that's yeah. that's the political question that falls out of the book. Of course, there are deeper cultural questions that go beyond politics. But I just commented on the political angle because like you, I was surprised many people, you know, sort of see it as likely a conservative book. And it's really not, actually. <laughs> it's yeah. really a book that, that delineates a cultural issue whose political implications, I think, are actually most profound for delineating some distinctions that I think the left needs to grapple with in terms of what it actually stands for. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. And I, uh, you know, I, I love your opinion on this because I'm like, I, I'm always curious. I'm like, do do people not realize this? Like, you know, I, I identify on the left. Like if it was up to me, I would have voted for Bernie and stuff like that. I'm all for that stuff. But like when I see the other people follow him, I'm like, do you guys not see what's going on? When, you know, when we, when we argue about, you know, uh, like, and don't get me wrong, like I talk about it a lot, like racism and misogyny and all the, all these other things, they are definitely issues, right? But there's this distraction. It feels like there's this distraction from these multi-billion dollar companies that are making us focus on those things rather than realize that there's a big inequality with wealth, uh, you know, uh, there's education issues and all that. And like, for me, once I realized that, like, I got pissed. I'm like, like, you guys are like trying to do this, like, illusion, like, kind of like magic act, like, oh, here's the real problem that we're like, the racism's the real problem, not that we're hoarding all the money and not giving people, you know, opportunities. So I'm curious, like, do you kind of see it as that is like a manipulation of the left? I mean, yeah, I described it in the book as a magic act, just like you described it. Yeah. Is a magic act at the center of 21st century capitalism. You pretend like you care about something other than profit and power precisely to gain more of each. That is how this game is played. And mm-hmm. it's not just companies, though. I, I want to talk a little bit about you. You made an allusion to education. I think it's a great point. There's now a new movement in the woke education sector, which says that math, that, that whole institution where two plus two equals four, that thing, mm-hmm. that math is racist. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you, I don't believe math is racist because yeah. two plus two is equaling four. That, that's an objective truth in the physical universe and in the metaphysical universe. But what might be a source of systemic inequity might be the fact that kids in public schools over the last year didn't learn nearly as much math as kids in private schools because mm-hmm. the teachers unions wanted a year of vacation using the coronavirus pandemic as an excuse to get it. So I think that it's another example of blowing woke smoke to deflect accountability for the kinds of actual inequalities that the left, or at least some segments of the left, are actually unwilling to do the hard work of addressing. Mm-hmm. And I think that everyone is left worse off in the end. So I think that's actually what this game is about. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and you discuss, you know, a, a ton of, you, you give a ton of examples and like actual stories in the book, such as like people having to resign for getting mobbed on Twitter. And one of the reasons that, you know, uh, I I'm interested in this topic is because in 2019, I got canceled. I, I had hundreds of thousands of strangers coming after me. Like it was nuts. And it, it wasn't even about like some of these woke issues with me. What you know, happened? I'm just curious. Uh, long story short, I was a YouTuber. I was making mental health and addiction recovery content because that's, you know, that's what I'm passionate about. I got sober in 2012. Everybody loved it. It was helping a lot of people. But the way I was using the content was to build off of like uh, stories going on in the YouTube community. So imagine if I, if I took like a celebrity like Kanye West talking about his bipolar disorder, I would use that to educate people about bipolar disorder. Some people got pissed. They said this is unethical. So it was all okay until it wasn't. Yada yada really? yada. That's, yeah. that's that's surprising. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it caught me off guard too, Vivek. <laughs> it's so, surprising, but it's not. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's when I really got interested in the whole, you know, like like a lot of wokeism. It's a lot of moral grandstanding. It's a lot of signaling and saying, look at totally. me. Like, look, you know, like that, you know, virtue signaling gets overused, but it's it's very true. We're all, you know, people are going on Twitter and just berating people and saying, like, I find this morally just terrible. Right. And, right, right. and it's the sign. So that actually leads to my next question with you. Like you tell the story. So those are those from my audience who don't know you, you were the CEO of a biotech company. And during, I believe it was during the BLM stuff, they wanted you to do what a lot of other companies were doing and make a statement about this. And correct me if I'm wrong, like you were kind of like, Hey, we make we make a product that saves lives and that's where we need to focus our attention and they didn't like that so maybe you can uh <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't and they isn't everybody right but but it is a it may be a vocal minority but mm -hmm. you know the reality is there was an expectation that if you were a seal in this country if you didn't say the right thing about black lives matter and there's a lot of objectionable content in that movement in my by my opinion that has nothing to do with black lives Hmm. that somehow you were complicit in the in the shackles of systemic racism. And I don't want to say something to my employees that I didn't mean. One of my commitments as a leader is to say what I mean and, mm -hmm. and not say things I don't mean. But I also had to, you know, ultimately do right by making sure that they felt like they were being supported and, and that they were at least heard. And so that was, that was a difficult challenge to navigate, but it was also one of the things that made me much more motivated about writing the book mm -hmm. is, you know, this is what you have is I think a lot of well-intentioned people, especially in our generation, Chris, maybe even a generation younger mm -hmm. who want to do good in the world, but just don't know exactly how to channel those moral impulses and, and the kinds of things that used to give human beings meaning and purpose and conviction and identity, things like faith and patriotism and national identity and hard work, those have basically disappeared in our generation or at least receded in a significant way. But when you lose faith, let's, let's just even take the faith in God, for example. Mm -hmm. When you lose faith, I don't think you lose your impulse to have faith. You just relocate your faith to new things. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's what the church of the church of postmodernism, the church of wokeism, that's what they have to offer is they effectively become modern religions, except people who subscribe to those ideologies don't realize they're actually just subscribing to a religion. And that's mm -hmm. the most dangerous kind of religion at all. Because I think many of us, I don't know, are you religious, Chris? I don't know if you are. I, I Coming from a 12-step background, like although okay. I'm not religious, you know, I have like my own spirituality type stuff. So yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, whatever. I, I'm, I'm religious, but 
The point yeah. I was going to make was, if you're religious, I'm also a scientist. I'm also involved in a lot of the spheres mm-hmm. of my life. You you know that that's that's it. That's a component of your life. Okay, yeah. but that's not all of your life. It's just a, one of the spheres that identifies who you are, and the way you adopt religious beliefs is different than the way you adopt scientific beliefs, and you can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. I guess the problem with subscribing to a religion without recognizing that it's a religion is that it, that actually allows it to take over your entire life. Yep. And I think that in your entire worldview, and you're unable to draw the distinctions for what's a reasoned view and what's a religious view, you think you're engaging in a reasoned view when in fact it's religious. And so I think that's one of the, dan- one of the great dangers of the church of wokeism is that it fills mm-hmm. the, the void left in the wake of patriotism and re- religion, et cetera, that used to fill identity and meaning and purpose voids that now are accidentally filled by this new mm. postmodern ideology instead. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's there's plenty of, you know, statistics out there how, you know, uh, as, uh, you know, as time goes on, less people are religious, but like we're, we're evolutionarily designed for that kind of stuff, right? So people are finding these new things. And I don't know how much uh, you, you uh, check out like John McWhorter's book, uh, work, but I, I recently uh, read an early copy of his book and he talks about the woke religion type aspect. And, you know, part of it too is, not questioning thing, right? Like, and you know, when I when I went through my own cancellation, I started learning a lot about like tribalism and all that. And it seems like there's this very strong kind of uh you you need to show us that you're with us because if you're not with you, if you're not in the in-group, you're part of the out group. And it seems like even when you share that story about what happened with your company, or you see a lot of people, you know, and what they're dealing with out there, it's, it's like, they're being pressured. Like you need to say something, or this is a sign that you're against us. Have you kind of been recognizing that? That's right. It's, it's a, it's a new tribalism, right? There's no room for nuance, for respectful disagreement, no tolerance. And I think that there's a certain indecency in any culture of intolerance. I don't want to be like overly, you know, whatever, whatever, bombastic here but Mm -hmm. i think that there's i'm going to overstate a point for the purpose of making a point okay Mm -hmm. but the point i'll I'll overstate to make it is that when i think about the two most dangerous ideologies of the 20th century hands down it's clear to me what they are nazism nazi fascism Mm -hmm. which was basically identity politics on steroids and Mm -hmm. marxism which was basically an oppressor narrative on steroids at least the russian ussr version of marxism Mm -hmm. Combine the two, and I think you basically get their love child, which is modern wokeism, which is identity politics on steroids meets oppressor-oppressed narratives on steroids. And I think that the problem with any of those ideologies, but especially the fascist component of it, there's no real tolerance for dissent. Now, mm. I think that I think that they may say in response that, well, no, I mean, people clearly still express alternative views. You know, Fox News still exists or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Within a given institution, what what you see is the bare minimum modicum of tolerance. Okay, so in a lot of traditional Islamist cultures, Islamic cultures, what you Mm -hmm. would see was some modicum of tolerance for, say, Jews and Christians. Mm -hmm. But there was there's actually a a term for it, and and, and I forget the exact Arabic word, but there's a term for it which refers to the expectation of how you're supposed to behave if you're a Jew or a Christian. You're inherently inferior. You can do your own thing as long as you don't actually question the prevailing religious order. And I think that's the equivalent of what the tolerance of wokeism for other perspectives is in a university setting or in a corporate setting. 
somebody makes a claim that reflects one of the core tenets or beliefs of, of modern anti-racist or woke ideology, even if you disagree with it, your expectation is that you're at least supposed to stay quiet and listen. But the expectation doesn't actually apply in reverse when you express your own view. It reminds me of those Christians and Jews that lived in classically Islamic societies that had that modicum of tolerance, but only the modicum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's something that that I, I think about a lot. Like I've been trying, like something I try to do with the podcast is just bring people on with different views, different opinions, and just I, I really try to understand where people are coming from just because I know we all, we're all raised in different ways. We have different backgrounds, different experiences. Like, uh, you know, there's a great part of your book where you talk about, you know, why, you know, compared to where you're from and why you did capitalism, right? Like mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like when I, when I heard your story, I'm like, okay, totally get it. You know what I mean? And, but it seems like a lot of these conversations are, are getting shut down. And, you know, uh, one of my last questions for you is something around the, the recent Peter Bogosian story, right? So Peter was recently on the podcast and he left his university because of some of this, like they didn't want to have conversations and, you know, all that stuff happens. And this is something widespread on university, uh, universities, a lot of people are talking about it, but anyways, so you, you know, you, you go and you do commentary on like uh, Fox news and they ask your opinions and stuff. And something Peter noticed when this all happened was nobody on the left was reaching out to him. So here's my question first with a little comment, like I, you know, I, I identify more on the left and I love them which is why I want to acknowledge these issues, right? But it seems like these conversations get shut down and the left media outlets don't talk about this. So from your experience, like, uh, I don't even know if you're allowed to say, like, are you like blacklisted? That's like CNN or MSNBC ever reached out to you to talk about, you know, some of these issues with corporations being woke to manipulate, you know, people like, like, you know, that- I don't think, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think so. Not yet. And I don't expect to be because, you know, I think that the way I'm talking about these issues is really oriented towards, and if you read the book, you would see it, really an earnest effort to rediscover some sense of shared identity that spans and encompasses and runs across our diversity. So MSNBC actually was was kind of surprised me. They were kind in inviting me on the on air on the week of my book launch. So they invited me on set. I went on set and we had a great mm-hmm. dialogue. There was some disagreement, but... Mm. You know, it was probably the only interview that we actually got to my one of my policy solutions in the book, which is to weave civic service, mandated civic service yeah. back into Ameri- the culture of American citizenship. I actually think that's really important. I don't think if you're on the left, you're on the right. It doesn't matter. And, and Chris, here, here's why I'm not on the left is I'm not a big redistribution of wealth guy. Mm-hmm. I'm much more sympathetic, by the way, to redistribution of wealth and economic injustice than I am to the woke narrative of genetically inherited disempowerment. But mm. I tend to think that we should focus on creating conditions of equality of opportunity yeah. rather than, than conditions of redistribution after the fact. But, but those are classical debates that we've always, you know, the left and the right have always had. So, so whatever, that's old, old school stuff. Mm-hmm. But well, here's what I will say. I am in favor of a redistribution of duty. And I think that we live in a society in which we bear our civic duties unevenly. The people who went, were part of the National Guard, they went to Louisiana the day after the hurricanes, lifting, lifting people out of the floods. You know, what's so different about them than you and I? And I think if we're all going to be citizens, maybe some of us are going to do better than others financially. Maybe that's part of what excellence and a culture of excellence in a capitalist economy demands. Maybe someone will be white. Maybe someone will be black. We shouldn't really care what their skin color is. Mm -hmm. But we ought to bear our civic duties 
equally as citizens. And I think that's the culture that I kind of want to get to, which is a revival of, if I may say it, it's a bad word, but a nationalism around the ideals that mm-hmm. define this country, that make yeah. us shared citizens, that make our diversity meaningful. Personally, I think our diversity is only meaningful if there is something greater that binds us together across that diversity. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of different looking people occupying a common geographic space, doing what our iPhones tell us to do on a given day. That isn't America. Mm-hmm. America is a, not even about a diverse group of people. It is about a group of people that is bound together by certain ideals that we all share in common. And then all the better if we're diverse, if we get there. So that, mm-hmm. that's where that's the vision I care to lay out in the book. And I don't think that's a left-wing message or a right-wing message. You know, on today's, the way the political axes are drawn, that clearly puts me on the right. But mm-hmm. that's not my goal is to win some sort of culture war. It's to sort of win the, the real battle of reviving a shared sense of American identity. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's one thing I loved about the book is like I read so many books and a lot of them just kind of drop off and don't really have any solutions. And you you talk you you expand on this quite a bit, but something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I think it's similar to what you're talking about. Like I've noticed, I've noticed it's like there's so many changes with like words and symbols. They're being like kind of adopted by different groups of people. But now, like right now, if you see an American flag on somebody's car, on their porch or whatever, you instantly assume like, oh, that person's on the right bit. You know what I mean? Right, you right. You, I was narrative. just talking about this with my wife the other day. It's remarkable and kind of sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's nuts. Like I remember growing up and like, you know, I was never like planning on joining the army or anything, but I remember watching like the Olympics or different, you know, national events. I was actually part of, uh, I was actually in esports in the early days and I would travel to like France and there was like, you know, it was almost like the Olympics for video games, a game called Counter-Strike. And just like really feeling that sense of identity with the country and so I, I i definitely get what you're saying and like without having to be of any type of service there's something that you say in the book that i love and i'm probably not quoting it exactly but you say you know maintaining the image of virtue has become more than you know virtue itself right yes. so so yes. you know we need to start doing rather than just talking about it and signaling but right before i let you go everybody's gonna go get the book but if if, if somebody needs something they could do right now, they're going to leave this podcast and like, I want to do something better. What what should it be? Not not feed into like, well, capitalism or or like, you know, go talk to somebody who they disagree with. What's something somebody could do right now? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's really simple. Uh, you know, it's to speak openly. Mm-hmm. Speak openly in an uninhibited way. That doesn't mean be uncivil. In fact, I hope you're civil, but I'd hope being civil isn't conflated with modulating the essence of what you have to say. Mm. Say what you have to say in an uninhibited, unapologetic, yet civil way. And I think that the second thing I'd ask is to provide the space for somebody else to do the same who disagrees with you. Mm. And I think we each today, right now, more than ever, have a civic duty to do both of those things. And if every one of the 300 plus million Americans did that starting tomorrow, I have full confidence that our democracy would be in a better place than it is today. Boom. Beautifully said. And and yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a super busy dude. So real quick, uh, where is the best place for people to find you and like, you know, what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But also is, is the book out internationally or is it just in the United States right now? Where can people grab the book? It's, it's out internationally too. Uh, okay. But if it's mostly in the United States, there's a, there's a version of the book that was published in the UK, which was the same title with a different cover. Mm. And instead of Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam as the subtitle, it was Inside the Social Justice Scam for uh, obvious reasons. 
So I think that's in the UK and certain other territories. But but yeah, Woke Inc., Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. You can get it anywhere you get books. And, you know, look, this isn't a, a money-making endeavor for me. If I net any profits out of this at the end of the day, you know, after marketing and everything else, I'm going to donate that. So mm-hmm. I don't think that this is something that, you know, I want to be too salesy about, but I do care about getting the message out. And that's, yeah, that's for sure. you know, what I'm grateful to people like you for having taken an interest in it. Absolutely. And best place to find you on Twitter. I see you're pretty active on there. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the one social media platform I really, you know, personally use in an active way. Beautiful. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I have some people help me repost some of that content on other <laughs> platforms, but, uh, but that's about it. Awesome. Well, yeah, Vivek, again, thank you so much. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll be talking again soon. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Vivek about his book, Woke Inc. And yeah, I, I hope, you know, this got you curious about this stuff and, and what's going on, you know, and the thing is too, it's not really, you know, a, a left or right thing, like a lot, a lot, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, just these giant media corporations or, you know, where we put our money, like a lot of them are profiting off of our anger at the time of releasing this, there's actually been a debate going on today or not even a debate, but news around, you know, this Facebook whistleblower on 60 minutes about how, you know, Facebook is, you know, fueling a lot of this polarization and everything like that. But in, in my opinion, when you look at it, like it comes down to us and you're feeding these algorithms. But when it comes to like what Vivek is talking about in his book, we are feeding these companies with our dollars. We are letting them signal, you know, what their, what their virtues are. And we are just throwing money at them, even though they could really care less about people like you and me. All right. So we need to pay attention to what's going on, where we're giving our dollars to and all that kind of stuff. If we hope for any type of social change, because, you know, as Vivek talks about in his book, like the people making all this money, their dream, the best thing that could ever happen to them is to watch us fight with each other because they're out on their yachts and they're traveling around the world. They're buying up, you know, million dollar mansions and all that. So we need to be paying attention to this stuff and not be fighting with each other and see what's really going on. So please do yourself a favor, do everybody a favor and make sure you are following Vivek and more importantly, grab a copy of his book. Like we talk about in this episode, and I actually have an upcoming conversation with Carol Hooven about her book on testosterone, but uh, right-wing media outlets, they are platforming, you know, people like Vivek and Carol, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like we need their important, you know, messages out there. But like when talking with Vivek, when we look at, you know, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and stuff like that, they're not giving as much airtime to conversations like this, because again, you know, they, they love these corporations because that's part of where their funding comes and everything like that. So No matter what side of the aisle you're on, please go check out his book, Woke Inc. It's phenomenal. It's linked down in the description below. But yeah, also down in the description below, make sure you're following me at The Rewired Soul over on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are new, make sure you are subscribed and following the podcast. All right. I have a ton of different authors. I think this is like episode 92 since May. So I read a ton of books. I love talking with different authors. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll enjoy a lot of other episodes. I've got quite a few authors on here talking about polarization, social media, and all sorts of stuff. So make sure you're following, go through the back catalog, 
And if you want to support the podcast in a way that's really simple, share these episodes. If you like this episode with Vivek or any of the other ones, share them on social media. It really helps get the word out there. And those algorithms really enjoy this. And I think it's important that more people are exposed to these kind of conversations and know what's going on because there's amazing books like Vivek's out there. All right. But other than that, if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to the rewiredsoul.com. It's linked down below. I have written some books. You could check those out. And there's also an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy. Mental health is a huge part of my life. I'm a recovering addict. You know, I've had my own struggles with depression, anxiety, trauma, and all that stuff. And I personally use BetterHelp online therapy. So if you want some affordable therapy from the comfort of your own home with a licensed therapist, go ahead and check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp online therapy. All right. But another huge, huge thanks to Vivek for taking some time out to come on the podcast. And I hope all of you have an amazing rest of your day and stay tuned because we have some more great episodes coming up this week. I'll see you in the next one.